The British Council supports peace and prosperity by building connections, understanding and trust between people in the UK and countries worldwide. As well as connecting partner schools worldwide to work on climate change projects together, the British Council offers free curriculum-based resources, guidance and events to help teachers get the most out of international school partnerships. TES and the British Council have joined forces to explore different ways to bring the world into the classroom. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the TES podcast. I'm Zofia Niemtis, a senior editor here at TES, and today I'm going to be talking to people about climate change across the curriculum. First up, I am speaking to Professor Nicola Walsh. She is Pro-Director of Education at the Institute of Education in London, and is also executive director of the UCL Centre for Climate Change and Sustainability Education. Hi, Nicola. Hi, thanks for having me here today. So you've just got back from COP27. How would you summarise your experiences there? Yeah, well, um, first of all, I want to say it's a huge privilege for me to be able to go to COP27. Not many people get that opportunity, so I really am very grateful. But at the same time, it's a real roller coaster of emotions. So it was kind of simultaneously inspirational. So the huge amounts of youth voice um, and a lot of marginalised communities being able to share their experiences was really inspirational and energising. But also at the same time, it was quite frustrating and, and physically and emotionally exhausting. So so came back really we're quite tired. I think a particular note I did want to say, as I say, the inspiration from the youth delegates, there was a really strong presence of youth constituencies, particularly involved in the panels around education and empowerment events. And to hear the voices of those young people, particularly in relation to education, was really hugely impactful for me. Picking up that theme of education, what were the key messages? Yeah, so the strap line for COP27 was hashtag together for implementation. So that was sort of seen everywhere. And, and that was very much moving from agreeing an overarching target at the previous COP events to more specifically focusing on implementation plans, which was so specific action for, for everybody, including for education. And there were really two strands of focus for education at COP. The first and perhaps most important in terms of progress for education internationally was through the negotiations around what is called Action for Climate Empowerment or ACE negotiations. So ACE is ter a term adopted by the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change and the overarching goal of ACE is to empower all members of society to engage in climate action through six ACE elements and climate change education is one of those but there's also public awareness, training, public participation, public access to information and international cooperation in, in all of these areas. So through week one of COP27, intense negotiations took place around developing an action plan for ACE, which will guide national strategy for the next four years. And incredibly, after some pretty tense discussion, this was achieved and the ACE action plan was agreed. And this is really hugely positive for ensuring climate change and sustainability education is incorporated into national policy at global scale in the short term. And the sheer um, relief and utter elation of this achievement will stay with me for a long time. So seeing the delight on the faces of the parties from Gambia to Australia to Burkina Faso to Dominican Republic really illustrated how important this was for everybody and it was really great to see this is a real and heartening illustration of what we can achieve internationally when working together, despite the, the challenge of the different contexts. Um, I suppose the other thing beyond the negotiations, there was a, a variety of side events with a focus on education or climate empowerment more specifically. And these were led by a number of different stakeholders, so including some ministers of education, NGOs, the British Council were involved in a lot of them and many youth delegates, as I said earlier. 
And emerging from these events was a real sense of the progress some countries have started to make in relation to climate change and sustainability education. And that's at a policy and a school level, but also acknowledgement that there really is a long way to go for the vast majority of countries. So that impetus to do more. And what was particularly enheartening that just at the end of that first week that it was informally announced that education would be a key pillar of COP28, which will take place in the United Arab Emirates next year. So we'll very much need to take this as a stepping stone to building towards a, a much stronger emphasis on education next year. That's so encouraging to hear that education is being put front and centre. Yeah. I wonder if we could go back briefly to the ACE action plan. Mm. What does that actually entail? So it's it's quite interesting because, of course, it has to remain quite high level because in, in order, because it has to apply to very, very many contexts. You might be looking at the UK, which is um, a little bit further on. It has a climate change and sustainability education strategy for England in particular. And it so it, it already has embedded some of the ideas in the curriculum. And then at the same time, you have um, some of the Global South countries who are really, frankly, struggling with the impacts of climate change on um, education more broadly, let alone thinking about what is specifically in that curriculum. So it has to be a quite a high level action plan in terms of ensuring that the space for the different contexts to respond to it. But there are key things in that. So there is an expectation that there is um, education, for example, and that education is prioritised and facilitated both for all in an inclusive way, but also climate change and sustainability education. And there are some examples of countries, for example, um, colleagues I was talking to from Iraq who was looking at the impact of climate change on some of their population and they were starting to engage with those issues and say well why is this happening to us and because they were experiencing it they were interested and wanted to understand so it's really important to have education for those contexts so that they understand why these changes are happening to their local environment but the other thing that was a key thing within the action plan was was this participation element and the fact that um, particularly there has to be participant participation and engagement of the wider population and community. And again, this was one of the really interesting conversations and discussions as to how you include that youth participation, for example, within the wider context. And, and again, it has to be context specific. So, so even though it's an action plan, it is quite high level, but it does leave opportunity for different countries to sort of interpret it in, in their own way. I think the key thing is that the reporting is done on an annual basis. So it's a four year action plan. So it will take us to the next four years, but this will be looked at and reviewed and progress against the action plan will be um, assessed at, at the end of every year for the next four years. So it will be monitored and we will see what's happening and the impact that it's making. And thinking about schools here in the UK, what could the impact be in terms of policy going forward? Yeah, and I think going back to what I've just said there, it's important to consider this question at different levels because while the action plan, as I said, applies to different, all countries, it, the impact will almost certainly be seen differently in different contexts. So I guess in similar way to the Iraq example I've just given, we were constantly reminded during discussions at COP that education is already being impacted by the impacts of climate change at a global level. Um, and this is disproportionately affecting women, children and girls. Um, so one example that was particularly sort of moving was Elizabeth Watuthu, who's a Kenyan climate and, and environmental activist, a youth activist as well, shared examples of girls in northeast Kenya being withdrawn from schooling because of the impact of drought and families couldn't afford to send their um, daughters in particular to school. Instead, they were having to work at home looking after livestock. And although, of course, within the UK, we need to consider the impact of policy at home, we have to remember that there's this broader context. 
More specifically around impact on school policy, and so I'll say particularly for the global north, for countries who do not yet have a policy around climate change and sustainability education, there will be more impetus for to, to develop it, which is really important and a, and, a, and a great thing. For those that do, such as separate jurisdictions within the UK, so we, England, Wales, Scotland and, and Northern Ireland separately have our own sort of approaches and policies, There'll be re re responsibility to ensure climate change and sustainability education reaches all children, so not just those in uh, more advantaged schools and of all ages. And we'll also need to then evaluate the impact that it's having on our children and young people, ensuring that their voices are very much prioritised as part of this evaluation process. And that goes back to the participation and empowerment part of ACE. And youth participation and youth voice, as I say, was a real key priority in the action plan. And this is something that all countries need to embed with policy and practice um, permanently, not just a kind of tokenistic um, once off um, element. Now, I know this is a huge question, but in an ideal world, what does a great climate curriculum look like? It is a big question, but it's very much one that in the UCL Centre for Climate Change and Sustainability Education, we are grappling with all the time um, because that's very much our core business. And we strongly believe that action should mean equipping children and young people with the knowledge, skills and agency that they need to navigate and thrive in, in a climate altered future and actually present. Um, and this is something, as I say, that the young people at COP 27 were asking for repeatedly, and it can be achieved through the ACE Action Plan for all children in all countries. But within the centre, we recognise that the best way to reach all of these young people of school age is through well-trained and confident teachers, teachers of all disciplines, all phases and all career stages. So how we understand the current crisis and what we choose to do about it absolutely requires an understanding of the science of climate change. And of course, traditionally, it is taught through um, science in particular and perhaps a bit of geography. But this, we think, must be undertaken alongside of understanding of, for example, how we got to this point. So that's history. What are the alternative futures we might imagine? So that might include art or English. What are the most sustainable business practices? So that's business studies. How will the food we eat and the products we buy be more sustainable? So that's technology or DT. And how we understand climate change through numbers. So that's math. So every subject discipline we would feel needs to have climate change and sustainability embedded through in, throughout their discipline to help children understand it in a, in a much more interdisciplinary and holistic way. And then the other thing that we would also say, linking back to the points I've already made, is that climate change and sustainability is not only about explaining the problem, but it's about educating and empowering children and young people to be part of the solution to the problem. So helping them become agents of change to, to take action. And again, I'd argue that addressing the issues of climate change and sustainability through the lens of different disciplines better allows us to do that than just giving lots of knowledge about the science. Um, I would just say that that is a long-term vision. That's kind of the ideal solution, but we can still achieve it now. So we don't necessarily need to change the curriculum to achieve this vision. And in the UK in particular, it can be done within the existing curriculum, but it does require that we better support our teachers of all disciplines to engage with climate change and sustainability within schools through their disciplines. And are you seeing examples of good practice around already? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and some of the most engaged schools we've worked with through our research have started to map issues of sustainability and climate change across the whole curriculum. But the issue is that many subject teachers currently don't have anywhere to go for support, so they're doing it. Um, there's a range of studies as well that I could draw on. So um, SOS UK, Teach the Future, are just to, to name but just a few. 
as well as our own focus groups that say teachers generally of all disciplines do recognise that it's important for them to contribute to this um, this wider context. Um, but they they don't they need more help. They're saying we know that students really want it. We know that the young people are keen for us to have this. But within our context, we don't we need more help. So I would argue that to achieve truly multidisciplinary climate change and sustainability education, as I say, we need to go back, we need to respond to that call from them, and we need to provide bespoke professional development programmes um, for, for our teachers of, of all disciplines. Great. And in terms of shorter-term approaches that schools and staff could be taking, where's a good place to start? Well, what came across loud and clear at COP, and I sort of have mentioned it several times, was that young people were not only fighting for climate change and sustainability education, but they were also leading the way really with our global response to climate change, whether that be through arguing about loss and damage, the finance, or, or, or at all aspects, or all elements and all discussions at COP. And this is again reflected in some of our own focus groups with children and young people, in which many of them articulated frustration that schools were not engaging with issues of climate change and sustainability, and that's within and beyond the curriculum. So one of the things that I would really strongly recommend, and, and many schools have already done this, is to set up structures which empower the children and young people to contribute to discussions within their schools. And that might be around estates, food supply chains, energy, but it also might be around curriculum, extracurricular groups, whatever. But providing opportunities for students to work with teachers and schools to, to develop and set up climate change and sustainability across the school ecosystem, as we like to call it, I think is really important. And I think anyone can do that. You don't have to have particular expertise because you can work together with, with children and young people. Um, but as I said, I, I, I want to recognise that many of the schools we work with are really already making huge strides towards doing this. This is also within the curriculum, so particularly science and geography, but also wide ranges of extracurricular work, and that might be eco clubs, mock cops. There's a lot of mock cop events happening at the moment through schools and trusts and the like. And schools don't have to start from scratch. So there's a wide range of help and example materials and as well as networks and communities and practice. So you don't, if you, even if you're the only person within your school that you feel like is, is interested, there are lots of communities that you can join, subject associations, people like the UK School Sustainability Network, which again incorporates voices of um, children, young people, the National Association of Environmental Education. Again, lots of, lots of different organisations that can really support and you don't have to start from scratch. And I will also add, of course, that we're developing a network of schools through the centre and we'd be very happy to hear from schools, teachers and students. We have um, a range of partners that we're working in different ways and we'd be very happy to support individuals or groups as well. That's so helpful. Thank you so much, Nicola. It was great to talk to you. No problem. Thank you. Next up, I'm talking to Abdi Ismail. He is principal of the Mwangaza Muslim School in Kenya, and he was nominated for the Global Teacher Prize in 2018 for his innovative work with technology, including using Skype to connect his students with others around the world. Hi, Abdi. Hi, Zofia. Hi. Um, so let's start off talking about what climate learning looks like in your school. For me, climate learning um, is more about implementing uh, sustainable development goals at a contextual level. So it's a whole school approach for us where we look at it as part of the emerging and cross-cutting themes. So we don't want to look at it on a standalone uh, affair, but as something that is embedded within every other thing that we do in our school. Yeah. 
Fantastic. And do you have any examples of how you do that embedding? Because obviously these are such huge topics. Um, yeah, how do you how do you bring them to life for your students? Um, there are a number of ways in which we have tried working out with our students. Uh, one, we tried out tree nursery, and uh, we just wanted them to know what it takes before you cut a, you cut down a tree. What does it take to grow one? So they they did that, but it didn't go very well because of the drought and all that, which was a positive thing for us because now they also learned that for a tree to survive, it undergoes quite a number of things, including surviving through the drought and all that. So cutting down a tree becomes a very expensive venture. We just wanted them to understand that because of the amount of time it involved them to take care of the nursery to ensure that the trees are coming up. Um, so... We learned a lesson from that. And the lesson we learned is that we need to have water harvesting mechanisms within the school so that we can uh, harvest our own water, which we shall use during the dry times to take care of the trees. We've also tried fruit trees or food trees where we ask our learners to identify some of the trees that can provide shelter and at the same time provide food, uh, food for them. For example, avocado trees or mango trees or... Uh, whichever trees that will provide them shelter and at the same time provide food. We told them this is a more sustainable way because when we just plant trees so that we can cut them down later on for timber or for any other thing, then we are losing that tree. We've also tried food security within our own school where we give them some small farms and they do kitchen gardening. So they're trying out basic things uh, just to see what it takes for one to grow something. We are from a nomadic community. So uh, agricultural activities are not very common with the nomadic communities. And then within the subjects, we've tried to embed them. For example, in geography, with, with our Form 4 class, we tried out, under the topic of management and conservation of environment, we tried out using plastics as an alternative um, to fence off uh, parts of the flower gardens within the school and such other thing. And in biology and ecology, we have also exposed our students to the same, where we tell them how the ecological imbalance will appear because of the cutting down of trees. So now they understand that we will lose animals, we will lose uh, some specific type of birds because we are taking away their homes, we are taking away the shelter that they're using. And then in, in language, we try out essays, we try out writing about um, current affairs. Then the other bit is uh, the final bit that we are trying, and uh, we are having some students who are currently participating at a national level on entrepreneurship. And we told them, when we are thinking of entrepreneurship, can we think of sustainable entrepreneurship? Don't look at just entrepreneurship making money, but make money in an ethical way. How can you make money without uh, hurting the environment? So our students pitched uh, an idea on how they, will, they intend to protect the environment by by planting more food trees and uh, flowers to, to, to please our eyes. So with all this, we are giving them an opportunity to try out in different ways. Amazing. It sounds so inspiring. And I wonder like what impact that's had on the students, like the kind of conversations they're having around climate and sustainability. How are those developing? Um, it's, it's a long process. We have some who are buying into the idea but uh, in, our, in our African sense, we say in every market, you wouldn't miss a madman. So we don't miss a few 
who do not subscribe to the ideas. They do not take care of the trees that are planted within the school. They are rough on them and such other things. But currently the discussion is quite ongoing. And the fact that we've had students on two occasions pitching on entrepreneurship and pitching on sustainability and succeeding because of the component of sustainability in their pitch, it has now made more students now think about sustainability because we are giving them an opportunity to think of the future. They will be going out there and they will be going pitching for their own, uh, for their own um, maybe activities that they have or funding that they are looking for. We want to show them that if it is not sustainable, you will not get the funding. So we want them to have the opportunity to discuss that and, and look at it from that perspective. And, and it is working. Currently, we have many of our first year and second year learners, the, the form ones and the form twos, participating more. And that is the future of the school because they will be around for the next two more years. Fantastic. Yeah. And so to come on to partnerships, uh, how have you used partnerships to boost your climate learning? Uh, previously, I participated in a number of partnerships and we worked with schools in Cameroon and schools in uh, the UK. And when in our partnership, we looked at the issue of greening our schools. Uh, how do we ensure that we have a better cover, a better green cover within the school? And we started out planting some trees. The first school I worked in, and we, that's about 10 years ago, in the school that I was in, um, the trees are now big enough to provide shade. They can break the wind. We are talking of about 100 grown trees right now in that particular school. Uh, and it started from that particular partnership. And that is what has inspired me to see what it is that I can do next. And that's how I moved with the idea when I was made a school principal, because at that time during the partnership, I wasn't a school principal. So when I became a school principal, I said, I will incorporate these in my other ventures and in the schools that I'll work with. And that is how now it is becoming part and parcel of the school to talk about the environment and to have the students work on the environment and uh, exposing them by taking them to the conservancies so that they can just go and see where the one life is, where, where the trees are, and what type of work these people are doing outside there. Fantastic. And I know that you're a big supporter of using technology in schools. How have you been using technology to help with this project? Um, two ways. One, I have participated in global events. Um, and these global events, just like the way we are now speaking, one is in the UK, one is in Kenya. So we were talking to colleagues, teachers and students from different schools. And our project on the geography, the geography students project, we entered it in the global, um, global climate action. It was run by one of the Global Teacher Prize nominees um, called Coin Timas. And our students show, showcased what they were doing with plastic bottles trying to fence off part of their classes. And they were thinking of us another way in which they can use the same. So we had an opportunity to Skype with other students from other schools and showcase what it is that we are doing in our school. We have also uh, participated in SDG sessions. I have been interviewed by uh, other colleagues uh, as we discuss on various components of the uh, sustainable development goals. And we were talking about food security. We were talking about climate action. So we shared again some of the things that our students are doing through pictures and videos of their work. We are also partnering with other organizations, local organizations around here, 
One of them is called uh, environmental justice in Samburu. The environmental justice team, we are working closely with them. So we, have, we are partnering and we are using WhatsApp forum where we share with them information and we ask questions from them and we check what it is that they are doing. So if we do something, we post it to them so that they can also see it. And we are doing the same with other friends and partners that we have. The very, very basic use of technology, very basic. Fantastic. And so for any teachers who might be wanting to create these more kind of hands-on, tangible climate projects, but might not know where to start, what advice would you give to them? Um, one, I will say contextualize. Always think of contextualization. Do not take the whole lot as it is. Yours might be floods, mine might be drought, but we are talking of the same or different sides of the same coin. So the issue is look at your side of the coin and then look at it and discuss it from that particular perspective. Uh, secondly, it's not about competition. Sometimes we, we think so much about, let me present a better idea than school A or school B or school C. It's not about competition. Our competition should be about the future of our planet. How do we compete to make the future better? So instead of competing, we should collaborate. Uh, I've heard of a term collaboration, where they are talking of both collaborating and com competing. So I don't know if it's a term that is in the dictionary right now, but collaboration is something that we are thinking about. So think about collaborating with others more than competing with them. You can still do the same, same things and it will still have a lot of impact, even if you are not, the, yours has not been picked as the best. The third thing I wish to say is try to embed it in the curriculum at your own level. You might be teaching environmental science or health sciences, so you can make learning practical by giving them examples, like what we did with the nursery bed. We were giving them a practical example to try out and see the challenges, and they were discussing it with their teachers. Um, in agriculture, we have very many opportunities. We teach agriculture in school, so there are so many opportunities to bring in that. Um, and in, in geography, I've talked about uh, manage, management of the environment. In ecology, we are talking about imbalances. You can talk about approximation and estimations if you are teaching mathematics, and you can use a particular area just to look at uh, the number of trees that are there or the vegetation cover that is there. We can always embed it. In, in, in classroom, we can talk about picture stories. We can create debates so that the students can argue out. And do not stop them from arguing against what you believe in. Give them the opportunity to express themselves. Let them say why they do not support what it is that you are saying, because that will enrich you. You'll now get another perspective. You'll come to understand the underlying causes of why people are rejecting or they are supporting a particular thing. So give, give, give them an opportunity to be the devil's advocate. Develop even outside the curriculum, like when we are working with students on environment, we have an environmental club. We have about 15 to 20 students who are actively participating in the environmental club. And we've seen the moment they own the activities, they even come over the school holidays to water the trees without any one of us asking them to come to school. So they come on their own, they water the trees, they try to fence it off and all that. And then we give them little incentives. Like when I have an opportunity to take students out to a game reserve, they become the first in the lot for me to take out. So they understand there is always another opportunity for them to see more about one life, 
to learn more about the environment and all that. Then the other one is provide learners voice and choice through the exposures that you give them. Current issues, give them an opportunity to talk about the current issues, provoke their thoughts. You can come up with a poster. You can show them something that is in the news currently and ask them for their own views. Some of these things are not even asked for. You just put it on a corner and let, let them make their own comments on the sheet that is up there. And then you can discuss it later on. Finally, I think it is doable. The first step is usually the hardest step. So take that first step. Once you do that, and, and don't try to impress anyone as you're working on it, try to impress the environment and you will understand better. That's my advice. So next up, I'm speaking to Nick Brown, who is the Head of Geography and Horticulture at Uskal Kluwerdog in Wrexham. In 2019, he started a project called Tuffy, which means grow in Welsh, aimed at allowing pupils to become more involved in the climate discussion and get hands-on experience. Hello, Nick. Hi there. Hi. So we're going to be talking a bit about climate change and partnerships today. So if we could start off talking a bit about what your school's approach to those really important climate conversations is. Yeah, so our conversation in school started around 2019, uh, where a group of pupils and myself were just talking and um, we said, is there actually something we can do about it? So we would, we'd taught them about um, climate change and we'd, we were talking about all the changes that were happening around the world, but they were looking for a solution. Um, and it wasn't a solution like writing to your MP or, um, you know, just going on social media. They wanted to do something actual and physical. So we set up, um, this project called Tuffy. Um, and within that we had an eco task force and the idea of the eco task force is to just really get hands on and see what we can do. Um, and the first thing we did was we planted 250 trees down in one of our fields, we had a disused sports field that was boggy and wet and nobody used. So uh, we planted all the trees down in there and had a bit of a tree planting party. Um, and then it kind of spiraled from there. So the, the same pupils were really interested in um, getting involved in um, kind of global uh, climate activity. So there was various competitions that we entered. Uh, we went down to mock COP, so during the, the COP 20, I think it was, or 26, that we went down and we did mock cop, which took us to, um, uh, we started in Wrexham and then we went down to the finals in Cardiff. Um, and yeah, we, we've done lots of things. We've done a TEDx talk on bees um, and following that TEDx talk on bees, we got our own bees. Um, and we also have a, a very large allotment here as well, which the group built, um, got funding for and built. Um, so they can actually see the changes in the seasons themselves. So, so instead of me just saying to them, spring comes earlier now, or we have more droughts in the summer, uh, and in winter we get more flooding, they can physically see that because they plant the vegetables according to the instructions on the packet, and they find that they wither because there's no water or they are growing. We planted garlic, uh, a week ago and the garlic's already shooted um, about five centimeters. So they can see it's warmer, it's got the water, and, and they can see that, like physically see that changing. So, uh, so we try and incorporate that into the classroom as well as um, actually physically outside. Um, we started with about 10 kids, 
Um, and now we've got every Friday, we do break and lunchtime now because we can't fit it all into lunchtime. Um, and we have uh, about 50 kids come in every break and lunchtime. So it's, uh, it's all go. That's amazing. I was going to say, like, you can almost, you can see the kind of, the impact that must be having on their understanding of the, the climate and the world more generally, like having that real practical hands-on experience of these changes. Yeah, and it, it gives them empowerment as well. So it's it's not just that they can see the changes, um, they can actually do something about it. So uh, today, for example, we planted 50 trees because we're, we're building a Japanese microforest um, on the same field. Uh, so we, uh, we planted 50 trees today. And when we were planting the trees and they stepped back and looked, we, we could see that actually those trees potentially will off offset some of the travel um, carbon to get into school. Um, and they they can think, oh well, now when I get on the bus, I'm not as I'm not as guilty. I don't feel like I'm I'm causing any damage. Um, and yeah, it gives them that direct results and that direct empowerment to actually do something about it. Mm. And so you mentioned a little bit there, um, joining forces with other schools, so at the the mock cop and stuff. Could you talk a little bit about the partnerships that you've been involved in in relation to climate? Yeah, so um, we've been in. The, when we um, started doing our um, kind of internationalization, we started looking, actually, we can do what we can in Wrexham, but let's, uh, let's look wider. Uh, the first uh, school we got in touch with um, was in Malia in um, North Africa, but it's, it's one of the Spanish territories in North Africa. And we got that through um, the MockCop uh, group and um, we contacted them and said, are you interested in doing something? And they said, yeah, absolutely. We came up with the idea of making a video. Um, so we, we did a three minute video focused on plastic pollution, where we told the story of plastic pollution across the world rather than just Wrexham. So if it was just Wrexham, we could look around the school, we could see litter and that's it. But we could see then by working with the, the school in Malia, we could see actually it's the same problem that they have. In fact, they have a worse problem because they can't, they've not enough space for landfill. So they incinerate all their plastic. So they told that story and then we told our story. Uh, we entered it into the Young Reporters for the Environment competition and uh, we won the international award. Um, so it was not only that our pupils managed to work together really well internationally, um, they'd started to think outside of Wrexham. They started to see the problem is global. And then they got the recognition that actually what they did was a really good thing. So uh, it, was a, it was a really nice process and a really nice event. And then, um, then we, we thought, actually, this was really good. So we, um, the British Council were doing a, um, a Connecting Classrooms program. Um, and we joined up to that and they, they asked us who we wanted to be involved with. And we said, anyone, we said, just, just you give us, um, a group. So we, we joined up with a local school just down the road here, another senior school. Um, and together we, um, joined up with two schools in Beirut. Um, and that strangely happened just before the explosion in the Docklands. And so we, we made contact, we were talking and then suddenly there was this, our pupils were aware of the conversation. Our pupils were aware that we were going to do something really good with these guys. And then there was this massive explosion. The, the government fell, the currency devalued, there was issues with food. 
and our pupils were able to kind of live through that process um, and watch the news and get involved with it just because we had this interaction. Um, and then from that, um, even when their schools, they were restricted to two hours of power a day and they, they had so many issues and we were right in the middle of COVID, even during all that, um, the pupils were really keen to continue. Um, and so we carried on and the school in Malia, the school in the schools in Beirut and ourselves then made another video together um about um kind of pollution and climate change around the world again we entered it into um the competition same competition and we've won the international award again so it just showed um throughout all those problems that each country was having there was this single theme of climate that they could really hook onto and um kind of make friends really and work work hard um with with people around the world incredible that's just such an, a kind of inspirational thing to be doing with your people like what kind of impact are you seeing on them from having these like really unique international links it's been a, a huge change um certainly for the people involved in the eco task force um they they see their place in the world and their we can see that their their ambitions are growing so we the the the, the group of uh pupils that we have just left. We call them the founders because they were there in 2019 at the start. Um, and they've just left and they, their attitude to what they can be has changed significantly. So they're talking about being environmental lawyers. They're talking about, um, going, um, around the world. One of them, uh, went out to Tanzania to do a big social project for a month. Um, and, and so it's, you know, it's, it's suddenly instead of just being right you're from uh you're from an estate in Wrexham uh that's where you stay in it's suddenly actually I'm I'm not I'm I'm from the world so uh yeah it's really good that's amazing and in terms of what you've got sort of planned next for partnerships have you got mm. anything in the pipeline so we're still working with um the two schools um we are aiming to do another video I want the triple so um we we want uh to get another video done for focusing on deforestation this time. Um, so we're going to look at global deforestation. Uh, the guys in Malia have lots of issues with deforestation. Um, and Lebanon, <laughs> there's a big problem. They cut down all the trees for fuel. Um, and now there's groups of women um, going around throwing seed bombs to try and uh, get the, the trees to grow back. And the symbol of Lebanon is... Um, is a tree anyway. So, um, what we're trying to do is say, look, actually we're connected by trees. Um, we're trying to plant our Japanese micro forest. They're trying to reseed Lebanon. Uh, the guys in Malia are having these issues and, um, you know, these are things that aren't the Amazon. Um, they're not rainforests. They are things that are being cut down and things that, uh, environments that should have trees in that are just forgotten. So we're uh, just trying to highlight the, the forgotten trees really. Fantastic. And for other schools who perhaps aren't quite so hands-on with their climate learning, but who want to be, because obviously, you know, it's the, the conversation at the top of everybody's list right now. What advice would you give to schools, yeah, wanting to get started 
you, you can start something dead simple. So um, if you've got no space, we're really lucky because we, um, we're just on the edge of Wrexham and we've got a big field that was disused. So that was really the key cornerstone of the whole project. Um, but if you haven't, um, you can just get a bucket or a bin, uh, fill it with soil and grow potatoes. Um, you can start as simple as that, or you can um, throw some wildflowers down somewhere or, you know, even um, some of the, some of the schools that we've been talking to um, let the weeds grow in the cracks between the uh, t uh, tiles and they get the kids to go around with chalk and just label what the weeds are. So, you know, how can you interact with nature in a way that um, just gets them active? Um, and then definitely a, a British Council are continuously running these international um, projects. So get involved with British Council. Um, there are funds available across various different places. You've just got to look for them. Um, local businesses give out funds and, and, you know, you just start to build up a bit of money and then the world's your oyster. And for any schools who, again, might be at the, the beginning stage of considering a partnership, what would your advice be? Just stay with it. Um, the, it's really difficult at the start really difficult because especially you know if you're talking a different language or um they've got power issues or you know it depends where you are in the world there's lots of cultural issues but um i would say use the pupils in your school so we had um pupils from spain that could speak spanish we had um pupils from lebanon and the middle east that uh, could uh, talk in arabic to the uh, lebanese guys so use the resources in the pupil base that you've got to do the communications and then uh, kind of empower them to take it forward. It'll need a lot of teacher um, guidance at the start. Um, so right at the start, it's, it was almost like me doing gardening while 20 kids watched me. Um, but then really quickly after that, um, they were like, no, I'm, I can do this. I'm confident to do this. Uh, and they did it and they moved on and, you know, it, they, it is what it is.